and something as a church that we understand together, what this means uh, for us. And so today I'm going to preach a message called Coming to the Table. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to go to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. I put the, the, the message or the scripture on the screen uh, today as well. Uh, since we don't have the pew Bibles in front of you, I wanted to make sure that everyone had the text in front of them. But if you want to use your own Bible, Luke chapter 15. I want to say again, the table is about becoming the kingdom community that puts God on display to the world around us. It's about living out what Jesus came to do, to bring. And when one of our leaders came to me and said that they had this idea that it was in their heart to use the table as a logo, I want to tell you that my first reaction was not, okay. <laughs> um, quite honestly, I thought they were crazy. I'm like, what does a table have to do with the church, you know? In fact, I shared it with some of uh, my pastor friends that I share it with, and one of them said, well, what's your vision? Restoring family suppers, uh, you know, supporting local restaurants, like what's your, and in a mocking way, he kind of like, um, was like, you gotta be clearer than that. And so I started praying into it because I learned a long time ago uh, I don't always practice it, but I learned it, that you should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And so the person that brought it to me, I trusted enough to begin to pray into it. And the funny thing is, is everywhere I started looking, I saw a table. Um, now, I know the reticular activating system. I know about it because Mark Batterson and Draw the Circle taught me about it. Reticular activating system means you hear something like a cool ringtone and you're like, wow, that's such a cool ringtone. I'm gonna download that to my phone. And all of a sudden, you hear that ringtone all over the place. And it's not that everybody else heard your ringtone and thought you were the coolest person in the world so then they went out and downloaded it too. It's that you didn't have a category in your brain, your reticular activating system, to understand that. Sort of like when you test drive a new car and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I see that car everywhere. That car was already everywhere, but your experience with it started showing you that it's everywhere. And I promise you, the table is everywhere. When I would read the scripture, I would see a table. When I would read books that I was already reading, the table showed up. This, this past summer, um, the North Central University, Kedrick runs sound for New North Central University, and he got to be a part of them hosting the funeral for George Floyd. The family of George Floyd reached out to President Scott Hagan, asked if they could use the facility, and he allowed them to use that facility and over and over again said, I hope that our facility becomes a table of healing for you. And so everywhere I looked and everything I saw and everything I listened to, table, 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 table. And one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Sky Jatani. And I was reading a book and look at, he says, we've forgotten that part of what Christ accomplished through the cross was not only the reconciliation of individuals to God. I would have used restoration, but he wrote the book. But also the reconciliation of people groups to one another. It is the prophetic power of the table that can stir our imaginations to not only envision the future reality of the kingdom, 
but also inspire us to live counterculturally today. This week, I'm going to be sharing four different passages of Scripture um, as devotionals, whether by email or on Facebook. And I'm going to use these four passages this week. These are four distinct passages in the Old Testament. And I even wrestled with using them in the sermon today, but that's not what I'm going to do. But if you want to start reading them, you can take a screenshot, you can take a picture, you can write them down. But the table is everywhere in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and oddly, the scripture ends in the book of Revelation with all of God's people around a table. It's all over the place. A guy by the name of Robert Karras talks about the significance that the table had for Jesus. Look at what he writes. Luke's gospel is full of stories of Jesus eating with people. In Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. In Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. In Luke 22, we have the account of the Last Supper. In Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with two disciples in Emmaus, then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem, which I actually think was Galilee, but we'll see. Then Robert Karras concludes, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And it's not, again, just about having a meal with someone. It's about a posture. It's about a lifestyle. And the table pictures this lifestyle that we're called to live as a kingdom community, and it facilitates it in a way that nothing else can. There are dozens of passages, commands in the New Testament, the Old Testament about hospitality, giving, sharing a meal with strangers, with the poor. And I think that one passage of scripture that has special meaning for Restoration Church is Luke chapter 15. If you were a part of our church back in 2017, in October of 2017, we did a sermon series on a, based on a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. If you were not a part of our church, those sermons are on a podcast that you can go back and re-listen to, and I challenge you to do it, because we're going to look at this story today, but I don't have time to go into the great detail that we went into back then, but this story has become a foundational part of our church. In Luke chapter 15, the chapter begins in verse number one with this phrase. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. I love the word muttered. They didn't speak openly. They didn't confront in a way to try to bring. They muttered. Muttered is a powerful statement about what the religious people were doing when Jesus was seated around a table with tax collectors and sinners. Look at what they said. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And in response to their muttering, Jesus tells them a parable. 
In fact, he tells them three parables. He tells the story of the lost sheep. He tells the story of the lost coin. And then he tells the story of what we call the lost son or the prodigal son, which I think is a misrepresentation of what Jesus is trying to accomplish and what Jesus is actually trying to teach those around them. So we're going to skip right to that story. And Jesus continued, meaning he's on his third story now. And he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The word prodigal means excessive, wild, and spendthrift. Okay, so reckless, spendthrift, wild, that's where we get the term prodigal son because of the way this son responded. Culturally, asking for your share of the estate when your father is still alive is a great dishonor and disservice to your family. Okay, it's almost as bad as wishing, in fact, it is in our culture, wishing your father to be dead. And so it's not like he had to go to the bank and just get a check. He would have to sell off land. He would have to sell off cattle and property in order to put into monetary value the estate for this son. But he did it. And then the son takes it and he squanders it. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, we need to be able to come to our senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Religion it's always been said that it is man's quest to find God. But Jesus came to tell us that man can never find God. God comes to us. And one of the things that the Pharisees had a hard time understanding is this idea that God is pursuing us and the only way any of us come to him is because he's pursued us. You and I are here today not because of us, but because of him, because he pursued us. So verse 21, the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father interrupts, and he says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat, a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, don't miss that, this son of yours, this brother of yours, was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. Jesus is telling this story to the two groups that are around him. He is speaking to the, the tax collectors and the, the, the sinners to come to the table, to come to that place of fellowship. But his words are also directed at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and their thought processes and the fact that they're not only not coming to the table, but they're keeping others from coming to the table. So today I want us to take just a moment and I want to look at what I think are three things that we need in our lives. We need to receive and we need to give in order to come to the table or in coming to the table. Now I know the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive, but I believe in order to give, we have to first receive. If we do not receive, we have nothing to give. I promise you, there is nothing of any worth or lasting value in me that I could give you apart from what I receive from him. And so if I am not receiving, I have nothing to give. And as a child of God, the moment I receive it from him, I'm expected to give it to others too. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Comfort each other with the same comfort you have received from him. Those aren't isolated scriptures. That's all through the scripture. And I believe those who are unable to give forgiveness to others, those who are unable to give comfort or compassion to others have failed to receive it from God. No, it's not that they don't believe they've received it, but they haven't received it in a way to be understood because when it's properly received, the result will always be to give it away. So first and foremost, I think we need to be able to receive and give mercy. Mercy is the only way any of us come to the table. We are all receiving mercy right now by breathing in and out. We breathe because of the mercy of God. In him, we live and move and have our being. He gives life and breath to everything. Not because we're righteous, 
but because of his mercy. We deserve nothing. We've earned nothing. It's all mercy. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. No one is declared righteous by keeping the law. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul, after reminding us for 11 chapters that there is absolutely no standard that any of us could ever possibly live up to to be in right relationship with God, but yet God demonstrated his love by sending his son to bring us back into right relationship relationship with God. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so reminding ourselves and constantly receiving God's mercy is so vital because that leads us to respond in full surrender. It it leads us to give ourselves to God, every part of ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. I know that some of us know and believe that it is by grace alone that we are saved, but it is grace that also empowers us to say no to what we used to entangle ourselves with and to live in the power of the kingdom. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to us giving ourselves back to God as a living a sacrifice. Grace is opposed to earning. And when we believe that we've earned a spot at the table, We're in trouble. And the younger brother tries to earn it. Look at what his speech says in verse 18. I'm going to set out. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's true. You and I, in order to come to the table, have to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But you and I, what we want to do is we want to add that next line, make me like one of your hired servants. We want to come to the table, but we want to bring something to the table. We want to bring our promises or our sacrifices or our offerings or our vows. And God says, no. Oh, but but we understand the dishonor and we've understood the sin that we have done and we we can't just come to the table with mercy. That's so scandalous and that, my friends, is the gospel. And that's how we have to come to the table. And the danger of trying to add, the danger of trying to bring something to earn a spot at the table is that we end up in verse 28. Like the brother, the elder brother, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that Jesus is talking to. Look what it says in verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. I am at the table because of what I've done. And the failure to receive mercy from God shows itself in a failure to give mercy to others. Now, it's not that we don't think we've received mercy, but if I am failing in an area of my life to give mercy to someone else, I have yet to recognize how desperately I needed the mercy of God. I have to come to a place where I recognize no one else in my life needs God's mercy more than me. No murderer, no pedophile, no immoral person in my life that I see or am I am rubbing shoulders with needs God's mercy more than me. I am in desperate need of his mercy and the only reason I'm at the table is because he's offered it to me. It's all about 
mercy. But you and I, sometimes we, we fail to see, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. It takes receiving mercy to bring us to the table. Secondly, we have to receive and give honor. Oh, honor to me is a kingdom pillar. To me, honor is about the ability to see the image of God in other people, even when that image is marred by sin. It's easy to honor those that we deem worthy of honor, but the scripture calls us to honor everyone. Everyone. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. The apostle Peter tells us to honor the emperor in a time when Nero, who persecuted Christians, was the emperor. Honor has nothing to do with someone's behavior. It has everything to do with the image of God stamped upon them. And sometimes that image is marred by sin, but we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to see past what everyone else sees and to speak life to those that desperately need it. Honor, kingdom honor, is countercultural. And we live in a culture right now, a culture of contempt that is fueled by the dehumanization of others. And what you and I need to do is start coming to a table with those people that we have started to dehumanize. Because when you get up close to them, you start to see they're a people too. They have fears, they have dreams, they have anxieties, and guess what? I have sin, it's just mine looks different than theirs. I'm in need of mercy just like them. And that's the table God has called us to. One, to receive honor. When the father brings out a robe and a ring and sandals, I don't see the younger son saying, oh, no, 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 don't put that on me. I don't deserve it. But in the body of Christ, sometimes that's the false humility. Oh, it's not me. It's Jesus. Oh, it's, there's nothing good in me. We know that. That's mercy. But some of us have a hard time receiving the honor that the Father wants to bestow upon us. And you can't give honor if you don't receive honor. God has seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It's a place of honor. You and I need to be able to receive the honor God wants to give us. Here's the thing. You didn't earn it, neither did I, but I have it in Christ Jesus. Many of you remember Jeff Deal. He came to our church maybe a year, two, three, I don't know, ago. He wrote the book Awakening Pure Worship. I had a chance to hear Jeff preach, just uh, not live, but recorded just a few days ago. And Jeff is telling a story about a guy that came to his house to sell him steaks, Omaha steaks. And he ends up praying with him. Um, the guy battles demons. He battles demonic oppression. And the guy's on his knees with his hands raised in Jeff's house. Um, Jeff's praying for him. And after they're done praying, the guy says, oh, you are so powerful. And Jeff says instantly, I want to say, oh, no, it's not me. But the Holy Spirit said, wait, you are powerful. Tell him why. Huh? I mean, we don't take worship from people. I get it. But we, we take honor. 
We let people honor us. We let God honor us because of the Christ in us. I am powerful, but it's not me. It's the spirit living in me. Let me tell you why I'm so powerful. Let me tell you why I love this way. Let me tell you why I can be merciful. Let me tell you why I can sit at the table with that person that you don't think should be at my table. Let me tell you why I live this way. Because if we can't receive honor, we won't give it. And our subtle remarks say a lot. All the older brother says, this son of yours. And how does the father reply? This brother of yours. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, strength. We don't have a problem with that, but love your neighbor who is like yourself. We really struggle with that one. If we're gonna come and stay at the table, we have got to learn how to to receive and give honor. Honor is about seeing beyond what is and seeing what is meant to be. I do not believe the miracles that Jesus performed on earth are just against the natural order of things. I believe they're a restoration of the original order of things. And so seeing those at the table, not as they are, but as they were created to be, and being willing to stay at the table and bear with them and honor them as someone who has the image of God stamped on their lives. I don't have to correct every little thing I see in them. In fact, some of the things that are in them are to correct things in me, not just for me to correct things in them. And as I learn to correct the things in me, I'm gonna see better to correct the things in them. Let me, let me ask, I mean, the same Holy Spirit who corrects me and you is available to correct them as well. And it's not about not correcting one another. It's about being willing to stay at the table as we do. To let our gentleness be evident to all. The third one is we have to be able to receive and give love. Receive and give love. Love is what transforms us. The Apostle Paul in his prayer in Ephesians 3 says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to experience, to know, is to experience this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How do we get filled to the fullness of God? Experience love. John chapter 15, as the Father loved me, I have loved you. Remain in my love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. We have to be able to receive love, and we sometimes have a hard time with this too. I love the phrase, we had to celebrate. This week, when we look at Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, the people are all broken up because they've read the law and they've realized how much they've sinned, and they're, 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 they're weeping. 
They're realizing all of their, I've fallen short, I'm, I, and they weep, and they're, they're sorrowful, and they're putting on sackcloth and ashes, and they're repenting. And Nehemiah says, stop your weeping. This is not a day to weep. This is a day to celebrate, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, we have a hard time knowing how to celebrate in the midst of the journey. We can't celebrate the small wins because we see so much negative that's happening. We can't celebrate someone at the table because of the one victory in their life because we, we're so overwhelmed by the 10 victories that haven't been accomplished. And before we even get to other people, let's talk about you. When are we ever gonna get to the place where there's not a list of 10 things that the Holy Spirit needs to work on? We have to be able to celebrate. We don't make excuses for sin. We're going to fight against it. We're going to develop a fiery spirit. We're going to, but today is a day I'm just going to rejoice. I'm going to let God rejoice over me with singing. That's in the word. And that's what the Pharisees couldn't understand. How can you sit at a table and, and show mercy and honor and love to these tax collectors and sinners? And if we go to Luke chapter 19, Jesus invited one of those very tax collectors and sinners to a table. And here we go again. All the people saw this and began to mutter. You know what I think is a synonym for mutter? Facebook. Man, that was good. It wasn't even in my notes. It was Holy Spirit led. <laughs> he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They're seeing Jesus at this table from a distance. They're not at the table. They're watching from another table, from another place. And they're saying, oh, look, he's gone to be. A... But Zacchaeus in the midst of it stands up and says, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because the son, this man, a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. See, from a distance, it's going to look like compromise. But I guarantee you as Restoration Church, hear me, our desire is still repentance for all to turn away from sin for all. We just aren't going to use shame, guilt, fear, and demands to get people there. This is the way of the kingdom. Mercy, honor, and love. And the problem is these Pharisees, they go to church, they serve in ministry, but they've never even killed a goat to party with their friends. Hey, there's no time to party. I am in the field. I am working. There are people. If, and we're trying to earn again. I haven't received God's love, so I can't give God's love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, that sounds like a record of wrongs. Guys, we're not all perfected at the same rate. And we have to trust what God is doing in the lives of others. And I, here's the thing. Everybody that joins us at the table might not be in the kingdom. 
And it's not my job to figure out who's in the kingdom and who's not in the kingdom. It's my job to give mercy. It's my job to give honor. It's my job to give love and point them to the, the one Jesus. That's my job. It's not my job because I can't do it right. Jesus told a story that said the weed and the wheat, <laughs> weeds, I did it just like he did. The weeds and the wheat grow together. And who separates them? The angels at the end. You and I do it all the time. We look at people and we're like, oh, I bet they're a weed. I bet they're wheat. I bet they're weed. I bet they're a wheat. And I guarantee you, we're wrong. We're going to judge some people as weeds and they're going to be wheat. Because God is pursuing them and he's after them. And the table is about getting people into the kingdom. Yeah, it's not judging who's in and who's out. Everybody is welcome at the table. And it's easy for us to cloak this language in religious verbiage. We're honoring the Father. There are a lot of people in the church world today that are defending God's name, defending the honor of God. Let him defend his own name and honor. And you just worry about treating people the way he treated That's what the table is all about. And there's so much more I could say about it, but we've we got to close because it's time. The table is all about becoming the kingdom community that puts God on display to the world around us. And today there's an invitation to come to the table, to receive mercy, to receive honor, and to receive love, and to learn how to give away that same mercy, honor, and love. It's a choice that you and I need to make. And I want you just to take a moment and I want you to just bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes, whether you're in this room, whether you're watching online. I know it's 1115, but give me just a few moments because I want you to process what we're talking about today. I believe the table is a prophetic call right now in the American church especially, to become the kingdom community that Jesus died for. If I choose to suffer alone, I tarnish the kingdom community. If I refuse to ask others to help or allow others to serve me, I tarnish the kingdom community. If I ignore the needs of others, I tarnish kingdom community. If I'm shaped more by the past than I am by the future, if I neglect the, the body because of convenience, I tarnish the kingdom community. And this isn't about guilt or shame or condemnation because I, I promise you this, every one of you, every one of us listening to this voice right now are guilty of tarnishing the kingdom community. We all are, we're all imperfect. It's just a refusal to stay there. It's a refusal to settle for anything less than the kingdom community that Christ died for. So here's what I want. I want you to respond to me today. And I don't, I don't want you to look around. I want you to respond to the Lord right now. If I could, I'd call you to the front and I'd say, you need to make a decision. You need to make a commitment. You need to make a choice today. And if you're watching online, 
you can't raise your hand, put it in the chat. If you're here today and you say, I need to receive mercy, I need to receive honor, I need to receive love. You need to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son or daughter. You've never admitted your condition. You've never accepted that Christ paid for it for you. You've never come to the table. Doesn't matter whether you've said a sinner's prayer. It doesn't matter whether you've ever attended church. It matters whether or not you've ever admitted your condition and put total confidence in the work of Christ to do it for you. And you say, today, I'm coming to the table. Recognizing that coming to the table means surrendering to kingdom lifestyle. But if that's you, and whether for the first time or for the hundredth time. If you can say today, Pastor Tom, I'm coming to the table today. Would you slip up your hand so that I can see it and say, that's me, that's me, that's me. Hands up everywhere. That's me, I'm coming to the table. I'm coming to the table. I need his mercy. I need his honor. I need his love. You need it, you need to receive it. Because guys, we can't give it if we don't receive it. You can put those hands down. If you're here today and you you say, man, I'm at the table, but the way you described it today, I don't wanna settle for anything less than the kingdom community that Jesus died for. And I'm coming to the table today. I'm gonna close in prayer in just a moment. And when if you already raised your hand once, As I pray, I want you to just lift both hands to heaven. So whether you raised your hand or you didn't, if you say, you know what? I believe in this coming to the table vision. You may not fully understand it right now, but God has spoken to your heart and said, I wanna be a part of building a kingdom community that puts God on display for the kingdom, for the city of Huron, for the state of South Dakota, for the United States of America, for this world. What can God do with a tiny church in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota? If we get a hold of what it means to come to the table, to receive mercy, to receive honor, to receive love in such a way that we give it out everywhere, every day, all the time. I'm going to tell you, church, it's going to change this world. And if that's in your heart and that's your desire, as I pray today, just lift up your hands. If you're watching online, just throw up your hands today and let's just surrender. Let's say, Lord, we trust you. God, we trust you right now. God, we're tired. We're tired of trying to earn a seat at the table. God, today we just receive your mercy. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you've given us a seat at the table. God, we recognize today we've sinned against you. We've sinned against heaven. We've sinned. God, we're no longer worthy to be called your sons and called your daughters. But today we receive your mercy. We put total confidence in what Christ has done for us. And God, we come to the table today. God, we want to receive mercy. We want to receive honor. We want to receive love. God, we don't want to just receive it for ourselves. We want it to totally transform our lives. God, so that it starts showing up in every relationship. God, even with our enemies, even with those that curse us, even with those that mistreat us. God, we want to be a kingdom community on display for this world. God, show us. Show us how to do this. 
Show us how to receive it. Show us how to give it. God, we don't want to settle for anything less, anything less than what Jesus died for. So Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us to this season. Thank you for bringing us today to this table. God, I pray in this week ahead for every person that's hearing my voice right now, God, that you would take this message, that you would put it deep into our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would take the words that I've uttered that came from me and that you would cause them to just fall off of their ears. And God, that you would take the things that you are speaking to this body and God, that you would resonate them deep within our hearts today. Transform us by your mercy, by your honor, and by your love, I pray. Now, Father, over this church today, I just pray your blessing. I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them, lift up your countenance upon them. I ask that you'd give them peace. And God, above all, that you would be gracious to them in every way, in every relationship. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for being with us today. We, over the next few weeks, are going to talk more about the table. But because you were with us today, we've got a gift that we're going to give you. Uh, we've got a mug for every family. Um, and so as you leave the building today, uh, we've got two ladies that are outside, two of my favorite ladies in the entire church. Um, they're going to be outside, and they've got a mug for your family just as a way of saying thank you, as a visual reminder of what God is calling us into. And so we are still, our, go, our hosts are going to still dismiss you from back to front. And so if you would just be dismissed and head outside, and let's visit together outside so we can distance a little bit better. And so thank you for being here. God bless you as you go.